it's Alicia here and today I am talking to Debbie Stephen. Now Debbie is uh, the founder of an organisation called Action Breaks Silence which is, well we're going to hear all about it in a minute, um, but it's all about trying to stop the current climate of violence against women and girls. So Debbie founded Action Break Silence in 2013 and um, she has an MA in Women and Child Abuse from London Metropolitan University. She's working with an international community of activists, academics and young people um, as I say, all about tack tackling sexual harassment and sexual violence. So, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's really, really great to, you know, have this opportunity to be interviewed and to have such an important discussion. Wow, we, I'm looking for it's a difficult topic, but we will try and do it justice. So um, let's just start off with thinking about the actual organisations. Action Break Silence, I mean, it's a very powerful name. Can you tell us a little bit more about where the name came from, why you set it up? Yeah, so the, essentially the charity was set up at the back end of me surviving um, two rapes as a, as a young child in South Africa. Um, and initially very naively thinking that if I did martial arts that I would, you know, somehow be able to reduce the chances of this happening again. It was an issue for me that I was a girl and I was, you know, was, you know, in South Africa at the time, martial arts was very male dominated. So I only started martial arts very late in life um, and realized that it's, it's, it's far bigger an issue than just actually being able to be physically um, capable. Um, I think what I saw, Alicia, around me a lot was there's, there, there were a lot of people talking about some of the horrific lived experiences of women and girls. But as a young person, I didn't actually feel much was being done. Um, and so years later, you know, having become very good at martial arts and set up my own martial arts clubs, which I have outside of the charity, still in London, I wanted to do something more and realize that we need to tackle some of the sort of larger issues and root causes of violence against women and girls. But for me, it was about action. And so this is where sort of the name Action Break Silence came up. It was actually my mom that came up with the name, believe it or not. But um, it was really about it, it was really about this this sort of concept of taking action will break the silence because there were at, the, at that time, 20 years ago, there was a lot of silence around um, women and child abuse. So just thinking about the sort of latest statistics around violence towards women and girls, where are we now? So it's interesting. I was just at the House of Commons a couple of weeks ago with the End Violence Against Women Coalition. There was a new report that had come out. So it's literally June, June this year. Um, and the report is um, called It's About Time. And it's really looking at a whole school's approach um, to end violence against women and girls in, in school settings, which is very the core of what Action Break Silence does. But very important, also looking at students' lived experiences. And from that report, it said that 80% of the girls that were surveyed felt that the schools needed to do much more to support young people in more sort of in better sex and relationship education. A third of young girls surveyed 
felt that they didn't feel safe at school and that they were nervous about being sexually harassed in, 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 in school time. What was quite scary was 62% of the girls said that they were made to feel really uncomfortable about their appearance. And one of the things that I was in the UK, in UK context, quite surprised at, is that 26% of those girls said it was a teacher that made them feel uncomfortable about their appearance. So that for me was, you know, I didn't expect that in, 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 in the UK. And then so the last statistic was a third of all girls interviewed that were between 18, 16 and 18, said they had actually experienced unwanted sexual touching at school and that teachers took no action when they saw that. So those are just some of the quite harrowing um, realities for for some students in schools in the UK. I mean, that's just horrendous. A third and a third. I mean, it, it's really shocking, isn't it? And I know that there is a massive overhaul of the RSE, the Relationships and Sex Education, going on at the moment, which I think launches in September. So I'm hoping that... Um, we're going to get a lot better um, education for young people. But it does seem to me that we we really, really need to be uh, talking to staff as well. Um, but why do you think we've seen such an increase in violence towards women and girls? I think that I think that the way young people learn has changed enormously in the last 20 years. The use of internet positively is amazing, but there's an incredible dark side to, you know, the internet. And what it's done is it's literally put hardcore porn accessible 24 hours a day to all young people. And I think that that's a big, big driver in what we have um, in the increase in, in violence that we've seen. Um, kind of side by side with that, that's influenced how young people have relationships, you know, and how they interact with each other, you know, as friends and as intimate partners. Um, so that's that's sort of one one piece of the puzzle. And then the other piece of the puzzle, and this is really from us talking as a charity to a very diverse group of students, not just in the UK, but in South Africa and India as well. But there is a very big disconnect. The gap seems to be getting bigger rather than smaller between what parents or caregivers think their children know and what they actually know and think what their children are doing and what their children are actually doing. There's a very, very big disconnect. And I don't think it's a malicious thing and I don't think it's a not caring thing. And I don't think it's, oh, parents, you aren't listening. I just think parents, I think stuff has moved so drastically that parents just haven't, because they're not talking, because they're not listening, um, I don't think they realize just how far off they are. Mm, I, I I would agree with you there. I think the other thing, and I don't know how uh, it's something that I was reading the other day, is that there's an element also of the of the success of the feminism movement in many respects, perhaps giving boys and young men the message that it's not okay to be a young boy or a, or to be male, and so 
that kind of breeds an anger perhaps and um and a shame and and looking for voices that actually say you know yes it is okay to be a young man it is okay to be masculine and I guess that's where people like and I hate to say his name but people like Andrew Tate managed to to get um in front of and why so many young men and boys are, are kind of following him would you would you agree with that I think it's a I think that so yes, I think there's been. I I I would hate to say it's a success because if I look at what's happening to women and girls, I mean we've just had poor Sinead O'Connor, you know, dying yesterday, having survived horrific sexual abuse, um, at 56 years old. We have there's 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 you know there's still so much to do. Um, I do think I think it's good that you've mentioned Andrew Tate. I think young people need to hear his name. I think they need open and honest conversations. I think not talking about him is not what young people want. Um, so I think it's really good that you've mentioned his name. I know we don't want to promote him, but you know, the opposite is kind of silencing young people. I think that uh, because this is what we do as a charity is we're working with young people. I think sometimes people's approach to um, boys and men can come across as they are challenging masculinity. Um, what I hope that we're doing as a charity is we, we're looking at boys and men um, without, without a link to some of their harmful behavior. Um, we're looking at some of their struggles. And I think that's, that's the positive thing to do. That's the, for us as a charity and for me as a human being. I've really spent the last 10 years trying to understand why. Um, and part of the answer that I found is that the way we socialize our boy children is, is, is part of the problem. Because what we're looking at as a charity and with the discussions we want to have with students is why do you think it is that teenage suicide is much higher in people identifying, and we're talking specifically about boys or people identifying with boys or people having issues with gender, um, why is it that there is, you know, more suicide? And when we're look, looking at mental health, why is it that so many young boys are really, really finding it hard? You know, there's a massive increase in bulimia and anorexia and drug abuse and alcohol abuse amongst, among, you know, amongst our sons. Um, and so I think if we address those things, I think it, it opens up really important conversations with, with young boys and it makes them feel like they're also being heard. Um, and I think if we address some of those issues, it would actually have a positive impact on how they present to the world and how they show up. And you talked about us perhaps failing them in the way that we're socialising boys and young men. Are you talking about that old and perhaps it's not old fashioned, but view that, you know, to be a to be a, a boy or a man means not talking about your feelings and not being able to be vulnerable. Yeah, exactly that. It's like I, I, I don't know, I can't remember where I where I heard this in the, in the last week, but it was it was a, a a man saying there was like a hole in my chest where emotion should have been. 
And I just got like, literally, I'm giving, getting it now, Alicia. I just got goose pimples all over my body. And I thought, wow, is that how some men and boys feel? Like that they've had something ripped out of them because it's an inability. Um, so, yes, I think it is. And again, this is this is around the world. This isn't specifically the UK. Boys, you know, all, all children um, should be allowed an equal opportunity to grow up, to be their authentic self, to show a range of emotions, to be able to nurture and care, and to be able to stand up and be fierce and be a warrior. That That's all children should have that luxury, to be able to, you know, get, you know, have equal opportunities to do all of that. So I do think, I really, really do think they have the overwhelming message is, that they struggle expressing themselves. The next message is they desperate to be able to connect to other young people and they find communication sometimes quite hard, you know? Um, and I think that, and again, I don't think this has been done by anyone. Like, I don't think we need to point fingers and blame. And, you know, there's so much anger and judgment in our world, isn't there? We need everyone just to come together and have like those open, like this conversation you and I are having. We need these kinds of conversations because I get quite excited because in a way I think we can change this. Like this, this is something that like if we all come together as a community and we treat each other with with equality and respect. And that's what feminism is. It's feminism is just it's not saying we're better than men or, you know, any other gender. Women want a higher place in society. It's saying, can we just be equal? You know, can we be treated equally? And I think we all need a bit of that, don't we? We all want to feel that the world is a space where we can all shine. Oh, I love that. And and I think that's absolutely right. And I guess it's about recognising that perhaps the qualities that we associate with the different genders, so whether that's, um, you know, the kind of social aspect of being female and empathy and kindness, and for the male being a men being being, you know, kind of strong and tough. They're all fantastic qualities, but we need to share them equally amongst everybody. One second thing that I was um thinking about there is that you mentioned that struggling with relationships and social skills and you know how do we build relationships we show empathy but we have to be able to be vulnerable and if if young men boys and young men are struggling with that then they end up feeling isolated and then and then it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy because you go online to look for other people and I guess that's where um, people like the incel groups, the involuntary celibate mm-hmm. groups lurk. So, but actually, it's perpetuating the problem for that young person rather than solving it. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. Like, you know, surely we can be there for all young people. You know, surely, like one of the things that I'm like that I I find, I think that, and it's not just it's not gendered. It's all young people. They want to have open and honest conversations about sex, you know, Um, and pornography is having a catastrophic impact on on all young people. Um, There's nothing positive about the pornography that is shown now. It's hardcore. It's degrading. It's violent. It's brutal and it's addictive. Um, And I just I just I find it very hard 
that when I talk to parents, so many parents say to me when their um, children are, you know, 11, 12 years old, please don't discuss rape because my child is too young. Please don't like discuss sex because I haven't had that conversation yet, you know, and I don't think they realize that what their young people could be viewing is so catastrophically explicit and violent that, you know, as parents, these conversations and conversations about body and sex and intimacy and all of that, we need, they need to happen really at seven and eight years old. Um, and, and young people, in my experience, again, I feel extremely fortunate working with Action Break Silence because what I'm gifted with is the honesty that young, the privilege of young people being honest with me um, and talking just about everything. And so I can firsthand tell you, young people want to know about stuff like how long does my erection last? Like what happens the first time I have an orgasm? How will it last? How will it feel? You know, it's all of those kinds of questions um, and conversations that young people want. And if we as adults, not just parents, because let's let's say it takes a village to raise a child. Huh? It's all of us have a responsibility. If we could just be open and honest like that, wow, I think it would make significant change um, for for young people. And it's so important, isn't it? Because I was I was reading something and I, actually I heard her speak as well, Laura Bates, who I'm sure you've come across, who's a very important campaigner in this space as well, talking about working in a school where a boy aged 14 had um, had been accused of raping a girl. And when a teacher said to him, well, why didn't you stop when she was crying? And he said, because, you know, look, totally nonplussed and said, because girls cry when you have sex. Mm -hmm. And it just gives me the shivers. It gives me the shivers. You know, the amount of girls that are being asked to have anal sex, their parents are too scared to talk about whatever they think conventional sex is. And their daughters are being asked to have anal sex because that's what happens in porn. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they're having, you know, they they gagging. And so many young boys think that when you really being amazing lover, you actually giving woman a gag response because your penis is shoved so deep down her throat and I know that this is explicit and I know that this is a podcast and I'm sure some people that are listening you know may think wow this is this is a lot but try and change that try and look at it that you're having an opportunity to hear these are just everyday students that are speaking to us. Huh? These are everyday kids that are speaking to us. So yeah it is it is it is it is quite um, quite horrifying. And this is where we have to have a look. Like for me, a very, very big thing, Alicia, is can we can we look through all of these things? There's so much anger at the moment. There's such a reactive response around masculinity and toxic masculinity and all of these things. But can we please just look at things with an empathetic lens? Like this boy, like that raped you know, allegedly raped this young girl that was crying in his response to that. Of course, all forms of sexual violence are absolutely unacceptable. But we have to be able to look, we, we have to be able to like, if we're going to change it for the future, we've got to listen to 
what that young guy has said about, but I thought it was okay. I thought the girl enjoyed it when she was crying. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think I I could not agree with you or state more, more uh, firmly how important I think it is that we stop using those terms like toxic masculinity. I think we need to change it to positive masculinity because, you know, the vast majority of boys and young men um, would be horrified if they really understood that some of the actions that are, are happening, the impact that it's happening, having on girls and women. So empathy, 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 empathy. We've got to build empathy, but we've got to educate and we've got to be able to have a conversation. And I know that, uh, um, you know, friends of mine who are parents of boys have said, well, you know, because of all of the conversations and the anger, actually, they're up, they're now terrified of, of doing anything or of even having a relationship. It's easier just to be on the on online on the PlayStation on a porn site. And that's not what we want either. So it is bringing people together and, and helping us have conversations and also educating, because I think, you know, it starts with language, doesn't it? I think it was Brené Brown who said that dehumanisation starts with language and mm. uh, and I think that kind of, you know, helping people under young men perhaps understand that, you know, that kind of sexist joke has an impact. Mm. Is, is that something yeah, that you look at? It definitely has an impact. I think, yeah, I think, I think we have to be very, very aware and go back to the start of the podcast where we looked at the statistics and we looked at, um, you know, women's lived experience around some of the harmful behaviors that have been normalized. Um, and I think, you know, for the moms and, and dads and caregivers out there, I think it is also like so many, so many of you, I'm sure if you have daughters, have at some point thought about what you would do if she came to you and said, like, you know, I've been sexually assaulted, or I've been raped. And, you know, how hard that would be. But I've and again, I speak to a lot of a lot of parents and very few parents have um, have actually acknowledged that there may be a chance that their son has done something that they would never, ever expect him to do or has said something or behaves in a way that they would actually not ever expect. And I think this is something as, as much as I'm saying we need to deal with stuff with an empathetic lens, we also have to be like honest um, and we have to be honest about who we are. And we have there has to be a, a desire to learn and change. Um, so, yes, I do. I do think what we need, um, Alicia, is definitely education. Um, but, you know, South Africa, as you know, I'm South African had a horrific history of racism, legalized racism. Um, and Nelson Mandela, you know, came up with this concept of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And and, and I, I really liked it. It was about everyone standing up and owning some of the stuff that they've done and said, and then people saying, okay, we we understand that. But, but the a center part of that is we want to change. And I think that that's something we need from, from all young people is that we need almost a, a communal response to, we all gonna like, we're gonna look at ourselves, 
we're going to accept some of the things we've done maybe were horrible and not very nice and in some some sometimes criminal but we actually want to change because the change that we trying to create as a charity is going to have a massive positive impact on young on young boys when we when we start to have open honest conversations about sex it's going to it's going to produce really healthy and happy and sexually fulfilled young adults and i mean who doesn't want that <laughs> you know who mm-hmm. wants to watch horrible hardcore porn for the next 40 years that's just you know degrading and violent and horrible you know so i think you know again i do think that we need to have these conversations i think we need to be honest about because i think there's a lot of reactive behavior because there are a lot of reaction to the the toxic, the talk, the word toxic, but you know, we've changed the word as a charity. We don't use the word toxic because we don't actually want young uh, boys and men and mothers or all all members of young people. You know, all members of our community. We don't want to make anyone feel isolated because we actually need them to come in we don't need them to pull away you know we don't want them to be on their own we want to we we need all voices to make this change happen i absolutely agree with you and i guess another question is do uh, are there some groups of women and girls and i think it's really important that we do state that it isn't just women and girls that violence happens against um i know that you know uh, it definitely happens to boys I've worked with, boys and young men who have been raped in the past. Um, and and so we mustn't exclude them. But do you think there are some people that are more vulnerable than others? So, yeah, I mean, all forms of abuse, all forms of discrimination, you know, all forms of racism and classism and sexism are wrong. So that's, that's like without any doubt. The trauma that... You know, all people feel that have been subjected to any of these is horrific um, and, you know, needs what they need to be dealt with in a really dignified way and and supported. But they all I mean, so much evidence and research shows that 90 percent of violence committed is men committing violence against women and girls. We need to remember that as much as we have to be compassionate and um, empathetic towards anyone that is that is being, you know, bullied or sexually harassed or has, you know, all all the all the um, forms of discrimination that we unfortunately sometimes put on other people as human beings. So without any doubt, I think that women and girls are more vulnerable. And then sitting within that. Um, this heightened vulnerability amongst marginalized and disadvantaged communities. Um, you know, women and girls that belong to ethnic or racial minorities or low-income households, um, you know, are more vulnerable. Um, and this is often arises um, due to intersecting forms of discrimination, you know, and we can't we can't look at sexism and isolation. Um, or racism in isolation, or classism in isolation, because they all intersect, um, and so that so that's something important. We have we have you know in you know I identify as a lesbian woman, and mm-hmm. I have you know not had heterosexual relationships, and things were very different twenty years ago. You know we were very persecuted, um, but there is a massive change happening within you know, young people's lives as well, where gender 
and sexual identity has changed significantly from perhaps my age to people at primary and secondary school now. And one of the, you know, one of the groups of people that are very vulnerable at the moment is the LGBTQ plus community, um, particularly transgender women and non-conforming individuals. Um, and I think we we have these very rigid um, societal gender norms, and that often breeds an incredible um, sense of like intolerance and entitlement of certain groups of people. Um, and again, as a community, and I'm a big village person, like let's like if I had children, I'd want a village to raise my child. And you know, again, we need to come together and have open, honest conversations around around what you know why why are these why are there such rigid um gender norms um and why are these breeding such so much intolerance and so you know we've got to look at like systemic inequality and structural inequality and power imbalances and um cultural norms when we're starting to address violence against women and girls and trying to create i think this is the big thing like don't we all deserve to be treated with dignity um, don't we all feel like that it's our human right to feel safe you know not just always physically safe but just emotionally safe um and i honestly think that you know i'm you know i used to be a very you know pessimistic person having survived two child rapes but i actually am very optimistic when i look at the work that we're doing with young people and i look at how much you know how involved they are and how smart they are you know how 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 many young people are you know it's it's a generation of activists isn't it they really standing up and making significant difference in our world as we see it today i absolutely agree i think they're amazing they're incredibly passionate and actually very brave and they have their conversations and they are prepared to stand up and say no that's yeah. not okay so we can get them to yeah get them on board it's just brilliant um as a parent what advice would you give parents of girls and boys that you think would really make a difference in the long term? I think the advice would be given, obviously, to all parents, um, because we we understand how many of our young people are non-binary or trans. Um, I think the you know I think the biggest thing, Alicia, is to to listen you know, and to create safe places or safe spaces for really honest discussions, um, for parents to perhaps think about why they find it difficult to have certain conversations, because I think this has been passed down generationally, you know what I mean? Like we just never talk about X, Y, or Z. So I think um, the advice I would give to all parents um, with young people in their lives is is to to try and listen and be more open to evolve in the way they think, like everything in our world is constantly evolving and we need to do the same. Um, I think it's really important, like particularly with the, you know, with AI and the impact that that's going to have and is already having on young people's lives. And we need to really look at the way young people are educated is going to be totally different even in 18 months it's this, this change is going to be fast and it's going to be something that parents are going to be on the back foot um and so i would really i would really ask parents to 
to try and kind of unpick this concept that somehow the parent's sole responsibility is to be an educator because that whole thing of parent being in charge and parent being the educator and parents having the power is going to change drastically. Um, I, again, I don't have my own children, but I have many, many young people in, in my life and I'm honored to sit back and be a student and listen because I cannot tell you how much I've learned, not just, um, you know, not just around um, emotional stuff or relationship stuff or not me learning about young people, but them teaching me about myself um, and then them teaching me stuff, you know, silly stuff. I mean, the other day I battled to do something. I had to attach a document. I'm going to Tanzania on holiday and I had to attach a document for my partner. I had to attach her photograph and I couldn't do it. And then I, you know, I, I must have struggled for like an hour and a half and it was urgent, you know, I had to do it. And eventually I just thought, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm going into the office tomorrow and I've got Alex there who's 19 and literally Alicia in one second, she fixed it, <laughs> literally one second. And, and that's huge. If I look at how fuller I am when I listen to young people, you know, there's the Japanese philosopher that basically puts all hope on young people. And I tend to agree with him. Um, so, yeah, I think just listen, understand that, you know, try not to maintain this kind of power power position because it's it's going to be forced out of you. So evolve, listen and learn, I guess. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely love that. And it is. I mean, it's not easy as a parent. But I remember I've got girls, actually, and I remember talking to them, you know, age 17 and uh, about anal sex and, and other parents being absolutely horrified. But I was like, well, you need to understand what kind of pressures they're under, whether they got... Alicia, well, you're making me so happy. I'm so happy to because it doesn't happen often. I'm so happy that oh, you've got such you. a beautiful relationship that you're doing that. Well, I think it's, you know, if you don't ask the question, you don't know where they are, you don't know what they're experiencing and you don't know whether they've got the skills and the tools and, um, you know, the self-esteem and self-confidence to be able to do something differently. You know, if you were being pressured to do something, how could you how could you say no if, if just saying no was too difficult? So I think I think we absolutely have to. Um, and then I suppose the very last thing that I would ask you whilst we're on the podcast is you know your top tips really for for parents who might be supporting a young person who has been a victim of violence I think this is this is a really powerful question um my experience again having so many young people around me and my own personal experience as a survivor is that I you almost feel victimized in a second wave when you reach out to whoever you reach out to, whether it's a friend or parent or another adult in your life that you feel close to. When you're brave enough to disclose, you need, you need to be believed. You mm. need to have no judgment. You need to have no doubt in the person that you've told, like, you know, well, you, you know, why haven't you told me before this happened a year ago? Like, 
you know, why? Or were you drinking? Like, why did you get drunk? Like, we've spoken about that. You knew you were more vulnerable if you were drunk. And all of those kinds of things are catastrophic for survivors. And this is all survivors. We spoke early on about boys and men, trans community, LGBT community, same-sex relationship, whatever. This is about for all of us. If you're a survivor, what you need is you need to be believed, you need to be given um, and treated with dignity and respect. You need there to be no blame at all on any level on you, or, you know, with you know, on 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 what's happened to you, the horrific thing that's happened to you, and you need people around you to understand how trauma plays out in our lives, a week a month, an hour, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you need to understand how our body keeps count when it comes to trauma. Um, you know, Sinead O'Connor is a perfect example where we may say, people may say she was very troubled. You know, she had very serious mental health issues. She had lots of problems. Sinead O'Connor is a survivor that was horrifically abused by her mother and subsequent to that had a number of quite horrific um, rapes and sexual violent, you know, incidents of being raped and sexually violated. And she's a, she, she's a warrior and she was a survivor. And I think this is something, again, you were talking earlier about language. We need to be really careful about what language we use. So my thing is the advice to parents is try to have, um, even if your response, you know, we taught all of this in safeguarding. If you, you know, if you teachers, aren't we? If somebody's disclosing, don't look shocked. You know, don't put your own opinions on things. Listen, you know, like, you know, be empathetic. And I guess it's the same for anyone that's looking after or supporting a young person. Try, I mean, obviously allow the survivor slash victim to be in the driving seat. They need to be able to make their own decisions. You can't say you have to do this or you have to report it to the police or you, you have to go to counseling because part of being, you know, abused is you lose part of yourself. So you need, you, you, you feel disempowered. So you need to be in control of, of, of decisions around what you want to do and how you want to do it and what support you feel you need. Um, but I would, I would really, you know, if I, I don't have many regrets in my life, but you know, one of the things that I, you know, if I look at how my, you know, how my childhood trauma has impacted so many of my friendships and relationships, um, I, I kind of wished that perhaps I'd had some really good counseling when I was younger. It would have made my life perhaps a bit easier. But on hindsight, I wouldn't have set up charities in three different continents. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> so, you know, we always have to look, you know, I try to look at the bright side of things. Mm -hmm. Oh, Debbie, um, I imagine this is going to be extremely hard listening for a lot of people, but I think it's an incredibly important topic. I'm sorry that you had the experiences you had um, and I'm grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing all around the world because it is so incredibly important. Thank you so much for talking to me today.
Alicia, thank you very much. And thanks for giving us the, you know, for giving me this platform. And if there are any, you know, people that have been triggered by this, um, please, please reach out. Um, there's so much support out there. Please do reach out for support. And, you know, obviously contact us. It's very easy to find, um, you know, my, me or Action Break Silence online. Please do feel you can reach out. We'll put the links there. Um, Debbie, thank you. And thank you all for listening. And um, we will meet again for the next podcast. Thank you so much, Alicia. Bye.